everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jacob, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, before we jump into the message, just one quick piece of kind of housekeeping. Uh, back in February, we did an event called Floats and Finances, uh, where we asked people to come together and just hear how the church was doing financially, what's coming up next, what the vision is, what the direction is. And next week, we have sort of the follow-up to that. It's been about four months. So if you call Discovery Home, we would love to see you there. Uh, our lead pastor, Zach, is going to be giving an update on where we are financially, uh, how things look going through the summer, how things look going into the fall. Um, and we would just love to keep you informed. It'll be after second service next week, so around 12, 15-ish. Uh, yeah, hope to see you there. So a few months ago, I was out in the lobby. It was after service. And uh, a child came up from downstairs. Um, I knew this child's family. He's somewhere between seven and eight years old. And I said, hey, buddy, how was church this morning? And he said, oh, it was terrible. It was boring. I said, great. I said, what did you learn? He goes, story about David and Goliath, and I've heard it like a thousand times. <laughs> and I had this moment, and I was like, oh, this is like my pastoral moment where I can pour into this child and let him know that like sometimes we hear things multiple times, and it's really our job to take something out of it. And so I said, hey, did you guys talk about how David was somewhere between 16 and 19 years old? not even strong enough to wear armor, but he still conquered Goliath, that he was like last in this line in his household, so he really had like no authority or power, and just how important it was and how great it was that he was able to conquer Goliath, that he held the back of a nation, and in fact, like, the Bible just goes forward from what he did. And this child, who again, I, I know his family, looked at me, and he said, my mom said I could play on the playground after church, so can I go do that? <laughs> I said yes, while internally I thought, you are giving up some sage pastoral advice and you're going to regret that. <laughs> David and Goliath. It's one of those stories that kind of transcends even church culture. Like you hear about uh, David and Goliath the movie, hear all these stories. So let's try something just by show of hands. Raise your hand if you have ever heard somebody talk about David and Goliath or heard a sermon about David and Goliath or been in a Bible study where they've talked about David and Goliath, raise your hand. Okay, keep it up. Anyone think they've heard it more than five times? More than 10? More than a thousand? <laughs> well, you have less than that eight-year-old because he's heard it at least a thousand times. <laughs> uh, so I've been a Christian for a little over 20 years. Um, with ups and downs, with learnings, with relearnings, with relearnings. Uh, and there are times that jumping into Scripture, jumping into the Bible, is easy. Uh, and there are times where I'm passionate about it. And there are times when worship is easy, and I'm passionate, and I'm excited. And there are times that it gets stale for me. Uh, there are times that I'll open up my Bible, which I've personally read through the Bible, I don't know, a dozen times, and I'll start reading in a passage, and I'll blink, and I'm like three chapters later, and I have no idea what I just read, because I just kind of speed read through it and zoned out. 
Um, anybody else, or is that just me? Oh, thank God it's not just me. That was going to be terrifying. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, um, the white noise that Scripture can become, or as Zach referred to it last week, as the lullaby. Uh, so if you are new here, uh, over this last year, we have been painting sort of a foundation of Christianity. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, we started in, Je- in January looking at Genesis and looking at creation, looking at the God who made us, and the God who loves us, uh, the God who wants rest for us, and the God who built us. Uh, we went into the Old Testament and looked at these little Uh, what I love to call kind of oases that God placed all throughout the Old Testament. Um, These little festivals, these parties, these practices, that when you look at them in the context of where we are today are just amazing. Uh, And now we're in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is one of the biographies of Jesus. We see this man who claimed to be the son of God, came and walked the earth, performed miracles, uh, and then died for you and I, which is incredible. Um, so if you are here today and you are new, uh, if you're not sure what to believe, if you are skeptical, if you are invited here, what we're going to talk about today is a great foundational piece of being a Christian, a foundational piece of prayer, a foundational piece of understanding who God is and what he wants for you. Uh, and if you are here and my 20 years as a Christian It's like nothing to you. You've got far longer. Um, Or you have less, but you know what you're talking about. Uh, There are times that the preacher's up here on the stage, and you're like, I think I could do it better than him. I want to challenge you to zone in on something that, if you're not careful, could become white noise very easily for many of you today. Uh, Today's passage is fun. It's important. uh, And it's one that some of you have heard quite a few times. Today we're looking at Matthew 6. Uh, Jesus is in the middle of something called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, He sees crowds of people coming, and he goes away to teach his disciples. Uh, People follow, there are multitudes, but it seems that his primary audience is his disciples, however many of those there may have been. Uh, Don't know if that was his 12 followers, if it was 50, 70 more, but it seems that this was to talk to people who were following Jesus Uh, Jesus the rabbi. Uh, Zach spoke last week and he talked about in Jewish culture when the disciples would follow a rabbi, they would do everything he did. Uh, Their goal was to be like him so that when he passed away or when he passed on his teaching, passed on his yoke, these people would pick up what he did and they would teach it. Uh, So Zach talked about how if the rabbi walked with a limp, the disciples walked with a limp. They did everything that their rabbi did. And so today Jesus is coming to his disciples and saying, hey, I'm going to teach you the important things and I want you to pay attention because you're going to be teaching this to others. In Matthew 6, Jesus goes on to teach some strong topics like giving to the needy, prayer, forgiveness, fasting, generosity, treasure, heaven, money, worry, anxiety. Uh, All of these are great, and we're covering almost none of that today. Um, That being said, uh, something I hear commonly as a pastor is people who say, hey, I'd love to read the Bible. I literally have no idea where to start. 
I'll jump into a book. I don't really understand it. What do I do? Uh, so we have those QR codes on the back of your chairs. Uh, I added a link to the very top today, um, and it's to a Bible app. If you don't have a Bible app on your phone, uh, it's to the, one of the most popular ones by a company called Uversion. If you are ever looking for a place to start and you don't know how to jump in, you can go on this app and type things into their Bible study tool like worry and anxiety, and people have put together Bible studies on these topics. So if you are not sure where to start, uh, I would challenge you to throw in something and look topically uh, if it's intimidating to jump into a book. So, moving on. In church history, there are kind of three or four big documents, creeds, or pieces of scripture that many churches have used as their baseline for teaching people about who God is. The Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, the Nicene Creed. You may have heard of some of these. I'll show the Apostles' Creed up here. I believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. It's kind of a, a summation of the Christian belief. Uh, the other big document is the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol. You shall not, shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Give false testimony or covet. Two really important baseline tools for what God calls his people to. The third we'll talk about uh, is the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer has the potential uh, to be one of the biggest lullabies that we talk about. Last week, Zach talked about the lullaby effect, uh, and I was intrigued, and I looked it up. Uh, and the lullaby effect is when you've heard something so many times that it sort of becomes white noise in your head, and you aren't even sure what you're saying. Uh, like, there's that nursery rhyme. Have you guys ever heard it? Uh, Rockabye baby on the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. Down will come cradle, baby and all, or baby cradle and all. That lullaby is terrifying. <laughs> I went and looked it up and was trying to find the significance. Like, is there some like, deep meaning? And here's what I found. It's either about a family who lived in trees and their child fell out of a tree, or the Revolutionary War, or something in France in the 1500s. Could have been a Native American poem. Like, it's all over the board. I don't know that there is set significance. Or possibly a better example of the lullaby effect is uh, the safety check on an airplane. The person gets in front of you and they say, hey, pay very close attention or you might die, and we all go to sleep. <laughs> it's a cautionary tale. Um, Bible stories are oftentimes treated the same way. Where we move through them so quickly, we can miss things we've read hundreds of times. Uh, the Lord's Prayer shows up twice in the Gospels, and it's Jesus' way of showing his disciples how to pray. It's a staple in many churches has made it onto photos on the walls of homes, 
and possibly most importantly, into a Spider-Man movie in the early 2000s when the Green Goblin attacked Aunt May during the Lord's Prayer. If you haven't seen it, remarkable. Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man. I want to check, though, and see how many of you know it. Uh, And it's possible you don't. Um, I want to give the first line here and out loud see how many of you can say the Lord's Prayer. Um, Here's the trick. Nobody likes speaking out loud, but if everyone does it, you're not singled out. Okay, I'll start it. Our Father in heaven... Right now I'm super intimidating. I really hope I get this right today now because it seems like you guys might know that, that prayer. Uh, hey, today, regardless of where you're at, uh, I would love for us all to pretend uh, like we are first timers here and this is our first time ever going to church. I wanna pretend as we go through the Lord's Prayer here that we're hearing this for the first time. Uh, I want us to work on this not becoming a lullaby. Uh, I'm going to go through it line by line, and I want you to imagine what this means with no presuppositions, and ask yourself why Jesus was teaching this to a bunch of people who had known about God their entire lives, and had in fact probably been praying to him since they were born. Um, They knew about prayer, uh, they knew about God, uh, but Jesus, the rabbi, came in and said, let me give you a primer in how to pray. Let's go through it. Our Father in heaven, our Father. Depending on your story, uh, some of you have had great history and great interactions with the church in general, uh, and some have not. Uh, The church has done amazing things throughout history, and the church has done some rough things throughout history. When Jesus came and he was building what he did and getting his disciples, he was pointing to this community, this community that's the church. And whether the church always gets it right, which I won't even say it does, it seems like exactly what Jesus pointed to for us to do together. Uh, Our Father, uh, the God in heaven over all of us, we're doing this together. Uh, And Father... Uh, There's a lot of significance in Jesus using the word father. In fact, it's one of the things that he got hammered for by the religious of the time over and over again for calling God my father. Through the Old Testament, we see some father-son imagery as God the father of Israel or Israel the children of God. Uh, But Jesus came and he wanted to say, hey, I'm not talking about father, the creator, the boss, the sovereign Lord, the director of the cosmos, the big man upstairs, all of which are true. Uh, I'm here to talk to you about Father Dad, Father Redeemer, as opposed to just Father Creator. Even the juxtaposition of Father in Heaven is a way of saying, the God who is above all and reigns above all, but is still close enough to be called Dad. Since this is your first time hearing the Lord's Prayer in this sermon, um, 
one of the important things Jesus wanted to get across to his disciples in prayer is the God who created and is high up, he's also right here, and you can reach out. Our Father in heaven, uh, hallowed be thy name. If I were to subtitle the Lord's Prayer, which would probably be blasphemy, um, it would be, I am not the main character. Uh, And that's the other piece Jesus, I think, tries to get across here. Hallowed be your name. God is holy and set apart. Uh, He says, in your mind, make God different from anything else you can think of. Whatever box you put people in, whatever box you put parents in, whatever box you put friends in, God is in a different box. God is holy, he is set apart, he is above, and what flows from that is God wants you to be holy. He wants you to be set apart. He wants you to be different. Uh, The way I've heard it described is if somebody were to look at you before you became a Christian and then look at you afterward, would they say there's something different or would they say you're the exact same? Uh, God is set apart and he calls us to be set apart. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Uh, My favorite passage in scripture ever is a passage uh, in Acts. It's Acts 1.8. I'll throw it up on the screen. Uh, It's the last thing Jesus said to his disciples before he left. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, but you will, be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the place that you live, Judea, the place that you're from, Samaria, the place that you don't love and that probably scares you, and to the ends of the earth. Later today, we'll hear about our Albania mission trip going off, and this is why we do mission trips. Uh, an opportunity to learn from others, an opportunity to, to bring what we know, uh, and an opportunity to engage people in conversations about the God who saves us. Um, God's kingdom come. Uh, but God's kingdom is also an outpouring of goodness, righteousness, and love. God's kingdom means that there is no hurt, there is no misery or pain God is love. And your kingdom come also refers to us. Um, As we come to learn more and more about who God is and what he wants for us and how we grow, and the fancy church word is sanctification, um, we begin to be that expression, that outward expression of love, of righteousness, of goodness. I've shared this before, but There's a preacher that I love, his name is Philip Yancey. He lives in Evergreen, Colorado. Uh, And Yancey says every year he hears the the Evergreen High School Symphony playing these songs. And he says most years they're pretty good, about as good as a high school band can be. Um, But every once in a while, the symphonic director decides that he's gonna make them play some ridiculously hard song that they have no chance of ever getting right. He said, and at first I would sit in my backyard and I would just cringe as they are making, you know, Bach roll over in his grave. And then I realized, um, for some of the people in Evergreen, Colorado, uh, this is the only time they're ever going to hear that song. 
And so while that song may not be coming out perfect, in fact, we can all declare it as coming out completely imperfect, um, people get to hear it that wouldn't have had the chance. Um, God working in us uh, gives people a chance to hear something that they may never have had a chance. Uh, And as a person who became a Christian at 17 years old, um, from the interaction of other people, I want that so badly for others. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I am not the main character. Not my will, but yours be done. And how am I going to handle that when I don't get it? Uh, And how am I going to handle that when I don't like it? When I don't know what you're doing? Uh, How am I going to handle that when I see people hurt? And it seems like a loving God within his will that shouldn't happen Uh, How am I going to handle it when I just can't see the other side? What does it look like to give up my will for somebody else? Which is even harder in the suburbs. Uh, My job before I worked here, I worked for a nonprofit with high-risk youth. Um, Most of the families had two parents working two, three, four jobs. Kids were sort of raising themselves. Parents could barely make ends meet. Um, And most of these kids struggled. Uh, And their struggles were all external. You could see them. You could see where they were hurting um, because they didn't have the energy to hide it like we do. Uh, They were good at wearing it on their sleeves. I went from working there in South Thornton and I got hired here at Discovery in Broomfield. Three months into my job, I went to my boss and I said, I don't know that these kids need anything. Like, they kind of seem like they've got it all together. Like, I just came from a place where like everyone is broken. Everyone here seems great. Uh, and then I just realized that we're all really good at hiding it. Um, and also, Broomfield, Thornton, Westminster, Erie, Boulder. Uh, how often do we have those severe types of needs? Sometimes, absolutely. But when you don't always need God, Um, it's pretty easy to ignore thy will be done. Um, When you are at the end of your rope and broken, you are praying for someone else's will because yours doesn't work. So in the suburbs, how do you give up your desires and give up your direction and submit to a holy being who may have a completely different direction from your life than all of your planning? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about this literally and spiritually. Uh, Literally, the God who provides for us. Uh, And I think if you go a little further in the chapter, you'll look at Jesus says about anxiety and worry, being God the provider. In the next chapter, in chapter 7, he says, Hey, parents, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. Uh, My father in heaven, he's a better parent than you. He gives good gifts. He gives better gifts. Our daily bread, the God who provides and wants what's best and wants to give good gifts and wants to come alongside us and who is the redeemer who is with us. But let's also talk about this in the spiritual sense. Um, And let's talk about anyone in this room who may be living on old bread. 
D.L. Moody, a great theologian, said, a man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough for the next six months or take sufficient air into his lungs at one time to sustain life for a week. We must draw upon God's boundless store of grace from day to day as we need it. Uh, In my experience in a church, there are a lot of people um, who sustain themselves on old bread. Uh, People who have been in faith for a long time. Uh, People who know the answers. People who can teach these topics. People who know what they should do or what they should say, but who get stuck in the lullaby um, and aren't encountering God daily or seeking God daily. I don't want to step on our person at the end who's going to talk about communion, um, but every week here we take communion and the person gets on stage and makes this radical claim that the God of the universe sent his son 2,000 years ago to die for you and we are going to take this bread and this juice in remembrance of that and oftentimes we take it and we move on when that person just made such an insanely crazy claim that should stop us in our tracks. Uh, the, the music we hear on Sunday mornings, uh, songs that we've heard many times, many of us, that if you pause and think through the words, should just stop us dead in our tracks. What does it look like to make sure you're pursuing God daily? Our Father in heaven, heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we have also forgiven our debtors. Debt and freedom. I had this like horrible moment. I I did a memorial service a while back. Um, A young father uh, died pretty suddenly. Um, And his kids were given the eulogy. And one of the kids got up and said, hey, I just want everyone in the room to know that if you thought my dad had an issue with you, he didn't and he forgave you. Um, I just want you all to know that if you had an issue with my dad and you're nervous to come back around the family, don't do that. We forgive you. And it was in one moment, this touching moment, um, in another sense, this incredibly heartbreaking moment, because I don't think you just say that out of nowhere, right? There's a story there. For those of you who don't know, or for those of you who have forgotten, Uh, Or for those of you who haven't internalized, uh, God sent us on Jesus to die for us. And that death meant that he forgave our sins, he forgave our debts, he forgave our iniquities, he forgave everything we had done wrong. And he asks for that forgiveness from us to others. He says, if I will die for you, um, forgive those who have hurt you, forgive those who have wronged you, Uh, And if you are the person who sits through a service where we talk about forgiveness and you have nobody in your mind, that's great because I am not that person. Um, I have those people who have hurt me, those people who have wronged me. I am that person that when the pastor gives the forgiveness message, I close my eyes and pray he doesn't look at me. Um, God forgave us and so we should forgive others. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
God wants our best from us and wants to deliver us from evil, uh, but it's also more than that. Part of the prayer is that most of us fall into the same traps of sin and temptation so many times that it's almost boring. Um, the sins that we commit are the same ones over and over again, and this is a cry out, God, I have proven that the sins and traps I fall into, they don't change. Can you save me? Can you deliver me? Can you help me? This last section is an acknowledgement before God and a humble request for help. We can't do it on our own. Jesus is talking to his disciples, people who generally knew how to pray, but he wanted to shift their thinking. That God up in heaven who created you, nourishes you, and watches over you, he's also right here, and he loves you. And he watches over you from on high, but he's so deeply invested that I want to teach you how to pray to acknowledge that because your father loves you. Another question I get pretty often as a pastor is, how do I pray? Uh, so we've heard many things. Uh, we used to talk when I was a youth pastor, uh, talk to God like you're talking to a friend. Just say what's on your mind, say what's on your heart. Those are great things. I'm all about it. Uh, in the Protestant church, we have moved pretty far away from formulaic prayer. Uh, we tend to have it very spur of the moment. We tend to have it very loose. Hey, if you were ever stuck and you were ever looking for daily bread and you don't know what to pray, you should try the Lord's Prayer. You pray through it line by line. Reflect on what it means for you, what it means for God. Uh, I tried this for this week leading up to this, uh, and I keep getting stuck on hallowed be your name uh, because if God is holy and if God is separate, things start to look very different in the way that I pray. I'm gonna invite the band back up um, the concept of old bread has stuck with me a lot this week. Uh, I want to prep you about what's going to happen for the rest of the service. Uh, after I go down, uh, they're going to lead us in worship. That's the singing part. Uh, and the thing about this worship is for some of you, for some of us, uh, there are songs that you're so familiar with and you can sing them on autopilot. Uh, and when you sing them on autopilot, it's really easy to miss how profound they are. Uh, and there are some of us who get to a song that we don't know, so we sort of mumble the words. One, because we either don't get it, and two, because we don't want the person next to us to hear how bad our singing is. Don't worry, they're terrified about how bad their singing is, and they're not listening to you. After worship, we're going to go to communion, where they lead us through this radical claim that the God of the universe sent us on to die for us. And if you allow that to become a lullaby, if you allow that to become white noise, you're missing it pretty bad. Love to pray for us. Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, I pray for this room. I pray that we are the people who are constantly seeking daily bread and not trying to subsist on old bread. And God, I thank you 
for being father dad and not just father creator. Amen.